0: This is Wildcat Country. It's only right the ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A athletics. It's up the end zone. Arizona has scored the touchdown. Wildcats win. Let's go to work, man. Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country. Eric Cohen and Shane Dale. Shane, this is our second episode this week. We, we came to you on Sunday night with Marcus Griffin talking about the coaching search. And tonight, we're going to break down what is going on with the future of the Wildcats. Obviously, coaching search, but their football recruiting with Matt Moreno from Goazy Cats. We're recording this on Wednesday night, Shane, and it's uh, it's a wild time right now. A lot of rumors out there, and let's try to make sense of some of them. Um, where do you stand on where things are at with this coaching search?
1: So earlier today, as a, as in a Wednesday, I tweeted that if I had a hundred chips to spend in Vegas and just place them wherever I wanted, uh, for the coaching search. And just, uh, as far as my best guess, I put 50 on uh, Brent Brennan mm-hmm. from San Jose state. I put 35 on Ken Madalolo from Navy. Of course, the guy who almost got the job three years ago. And I'd spread the rest around among a handful of other guys, I think Jay Norvell, Joe Salovea, a couple other guys. If I had to do it now, this tells you how fluid the situation is. I'd reverse it probably between okay. Matalolo and Brennan, just because it sounds like he's on the way up. Football Scoop says he's a top prospect. John Wilners uh said that's his best guess right now is that Namatalolo is going to get the job. Uh so it, it it sounds like it'd still be either of those guys, you know, and they're both very similar in terms of uh, you know, having the the ties to Arizona and specifically Dick Tomey. Uh, but it certainly sounds like unless there's a wrench thrown in at the last minute, it's going to be either of those guys.
0: Well, we, you know, it's funny. We did that podcast on Sunday night, and we didn't even reference Nui Matalolo's name. And I like him. I think he's a good coach out of Navy. I, I, he's not going to run the triple option. I've heard that from a few people today. Let's just get that idea out of our heads. He's not running the triple option in the Pac-12. It just doesn't work. He's going to have a, a modern offense, maybe a spread. He would have been probably a, a much better uh, coach for Khalil Tate as compared to what the Kevin Sumlin-Noel Mazzoni tandem was. As far as your chips thing, if I were to put my chips, my 100 chips down right now, I'm going to condense it. I would put 60 on Brent Brennan from San Jose State and 40 on Ken Nui-Matalolo and nobody else. I I just, at this point in time, Shane, I cannot see anybody else getting this job. I, I just can't do it. I know there's some wild cards out there. I mean, let's be honest here. Unless something dramatic happens, or Dave Hickey is completely by, bypassed by Doctor Robbins again, which I don't see happening, one of those two guys getting the job, right?
1: I tend to agree. I tend to agree. You know, we've seen a few other names floated around, um, the uh, uh, Jed Fish being the latest one. Uh, I certainly hope that doesn't happen, and I kind of doubt that it will. But it really sounds like it's going to be those two guys. Uh, we don't know if uh, New Madalolo is it? Is it New? I- I've heard both Neo Madalolo and Nui Madalolo. It's spelled Neo Madalolo.
0: Yeah, I, I I call him Nui Matalolo, but uh, you know that's well. I guess we'll learn that if he becomes the Wildcats' new coach, right?
1: I've heard it enough times. I should have it down by now, but yeah, we'll get it down either way. Uh, well, either way, their names are kind of tough to say because you got Brett Brennan. It's like Brent Brennan and his brother Brad Brennan. You know, but right? Anyway, that, right. That, that's, now, that, that's neither here nor there. That's not why people are listening. They don't care about that.
0: No, no. But I mean, listen. I I think that there obviously are some good options for the Wildcats. I think I think both guys. I think I think Kiki has it right this time you know we we've seen for the last uh, i think 3 hires since the since the Makovic era it's been like let's get a celebrity head coach mike stoops was the hot assistant name in in 2003 and 4 uh then you had uh, uh rich rodriguez who was a uh, the hot you know formerly deposed coach of michigan when he was hired in 20 what was it 2011 20, well, at the end of the 2011, 2011 season, right, right. Right, in November of 2011. And then you had Kevin Sumlin, who was hired in early 2018. So these are celebrity coaches. Now you're not getting a celebrity coach. Ken Nui Matalolo is a name, but you're not getting a celebrity coach. Uh, and I that's why I'm fine with it. Uh, Dave Hickey seems like he's interested in, you know, building a program from the top down, or from I guess from the bottom up, um, which is strong ties to the community. You know, former players, get them involved. And, of course, recruiting. And I love the direction of what's going on right now.
1: So I still prefer Brennan between the two. But I would I grew- agree. I would agree. Okay. But Anthony Jimeno, our buddy Anthony Jimeno at com, wrote a very compelling column. I highly recommend you go check it out about why New Madalolo should be the guy. Uh, and it almost convinced me. I, I mean, to the point where I feel better about it, if that's the direction they go. And it reminded me of something that Marcus Griffin told us on Sunday is that Recruiting to Arizona, recruiting to Tucson specifically is just different. It's different from the rest of the West Coast. It's different from California, Oregon, and Washington. And Anthony Gimino sort of makes that same case and says, you know, you have to recruit with the, you know, the be a part of our family approach, be able to engage the community and sort of, you know, Turning into I and we're starting to get sorted of that like with the our kind of guy thing right the OKG right, guy right but I, I think the next coach has to take it a step further and I think engaging the community as well and getting the community excited about Arizona football again is big I always got the impression with Kevin Sumlin and, and Marcus Griffin alluded to this too that he felt like he was sort of above everyone he was above the program mm-hmm. he was above the city of Tucson he was above the media I don't know if he really felt that way that's just the sense that I got like whenever I was in a press conference with him, whether it was in person or virtual. I always got the impression that he wanted to be somewhere else. He wanted to do something else with his time. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that's true of most head coaches. They'd rather do anything than talk to the press. But I think Kevin Sumlin was more obvious about it. And I think he he sort of gave away that attitude of, like, dude, I used to coach at Texas A&M. I used to coach in the SEC. What am I doing wasting my time with you people and your stupid questions? He didn't say that. Maybe that's not the impression he meant to give, but that's sort of the feeling I got. And I don't think that either of those the, those top two choices we're talking about now would take the same approach. They would look at this as a great opportunity, look at it as a way to honor Dick Tomey's legacy. They both look up to the man. They both had a great relationship with him and, and a chance to revitalize a football program that Dick Tomey really helped build and sustain through the late 80s all the way through the 90s.
0: You know, I'm going to ask Matt Moreno the same question uh, later on in the program, but I want to ask it to you first, Shane. Looking at the fact that, you know, less than a week ago, the Wildcats got pasted 70-7 to by their arch nemesis, ASU. I mean, just a a disaster of a game. I feel like a lot of good is actually going to come out of this game, and it almost is wiping away the negative feelings of how we felt on Friday when we were doing our live stream in the second half. Would you tend to agree with that or am I getting a little carried away here?
1: Uh, I think maybe you're getting a bit ahead of yourself, but I think potentially that could be the case. You know, if the program does turn around, it's going to take a while. We all know that it's going to take at least a couple of years, maybe closer to four or five. Remember it took Mike Stoops five years to get Arizona back to a bowl game. Uh, But I think keeping that in in mind, you know, long-term if, you know, if the new head coach is able to turn this program around methodically, frankly, like Mike Stoops did, maybe even take it a step further where they're competing for division championships, where they're beating ASU again, then hindsight, yes, it'll be worth having to hear about this 70 to seven score for the next century. Uh, so I, I think that that's an element for sure. And then also, you know, we learned the other day that um, about 300 former U of a football players came together. They did this big zoom call to talk about what can we do to help rebuild this program? And they're going to talk to Dave Heakey, I think, later this week. And so you know, ASU sort of um, woke um, – well, maybe not a sleeping giant, but certainly a sleeping wildcat. Now, I, I guess I, I, I did learn from uh, Heath Bray, who was um, – yeah, he was on, uh, on a radio show in Tucson, that was, uh, Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera down there um, the other day, uh, that uh, – I learned from him today that not everyone was able to get in that zoom call because they had a hundred person limit. So he was mm. trying to figure out what was talked about. And then I learned from a couple other people, uh, who were part of it that, uh, they're keeping what, what they talked about sort of close to the vest. They don't really want to discuss it too much. They told they were, it was kind of an internal conversation. I tried to get one of the members of that, of that group, uh, on tonight. And they politely declined. Um, But that's good. If you look at, I I think the fan base is engaged. If you look at our, frankly, just our numbers from our last podcast, people are interested about Arizona football and are interested to see what's going to happen. And I think now that Kevin Sumlin's gone, there's more hope among fans that things might turn around, even though it's going to take a while. And certainly when you have that, plus you have alumni engaged as they are. Yeah, maybe ultimately it'll be a positive thing. I'm just not there quite yet, you know?
0: So I'm of the belief, um, I want to go in a few different directions here, uh, but for the sake of time, let's go with number one. I'm of the belief that the Kevin Sumlin era was worse for Arizona football than the three years we had under John Makovic. Would you agree or disagree?
1: Yes and no. Uh, In terms of overall record, yeah, it was worse. Um, I think that in terms of like facilities right now, Arizona's in a much better shape because when Mike Stoops came in, the cupboard was bare in that regard. But in terms of fan apathy... Up until just a few days ago, maybe even now, because maybe we're reading too much into it. Yeah, I think if you just look at attendance from the last year, I can't imagine what it would have been this year. Fan apathy, I think, is at an all-time high, at least since the post-Dick Tomey era. And I think that's going to be tough to overcome. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to bring in a head coach who didn't necessarily play for Arizona, but has those ties to the community, knows how good Arizona football can be, knows how special a program it is, and is going to recognize that as in the community is going to open up, uh, you know, have Q and A's around the city and around the state, uh, whether it's virtual or not. Uh, frankly, be more open with the media. You know, it's not about us. It's about us being able to share stories with everyone. And Kevin Sumlin was very closed off as far as limited, very limited access with the media. Someone who's going to engage the community and really, like I said, honor Dick Tomey's legacy and carry it on and carry on the lessons that they taught him.
0: Do you trust Dave Hickey to make the right hire?
1: As long as it's his hire, as long good as good answer. I would agree,
0: I would agree with that. I would agree. I think Dave's. A, you know, Dave gets a lot of grief um, around the Wildcat fandom. Let's say because he maybe didn't support Sean Miller, or you know, didn't ha- isn't isn't out there and uh, front and center as, as Greg Byrne was, and. You know, Greg, I believe that Dave did not make this last hire. This was a, a, a Robbins deal of someone. And I think we all, uh, most of us bought into it, me included, because he was a big name. And I think the fact that, you know, now Hickey is, the, the qualifications that he's looking for, as you mentioned, Shane, to go back towards the Dick Tomey era, where it's a family environment. Hey, old players, come on back. Stand on the sideline with us. You know, get involved. You know, uh, Mike Stoops was actually really good with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Rich Rod distanced himself, and that was one of one of the things why he didn't have as much support from the alumni, and that's why you know Kevin Sullivan had none. I mean, he, he took it to a whole new level. So somebody that's willing to hey come on back, Teddy Bruski, come on down, Lance Briggs, come on down. I think that's really really important. And you know, it takes a
1: big man, Eric. I think to admit when he made a mistake, and I think Dave Hickey knows he made a mistake last time. The way that things played out. I, I, it, from all accounts, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it certainly sounds like uh, the, the job was Neil Madalolo's at some point. And then there was this uproar, you know, Khalil Tate's tweet. There was a bunch of stuff on social media and everyone got a little gun shy and Hickey decided to go in a different direction. Uh, whether it was bad advice from uh, from Robbins or from uh, his uh, coaching or the, the, the coaching firm, the firm that they hired to to find the next coach, whatever happened, I think he realized, okay, this was a mistake. You know, we went with a big name as opposed to the right fit, and this time we have a chance to get it right. Whether it's new Madololo or Brennan, uh, again, we're going with the assumption it's going to be one of those two guys. I tend to agree. He realizes, okay, you know, it's it's time to to make amends. If it's new Madololo, it's time to say, look, I got it wrong last time. I'm sorry. Please come coach our program. And that's what they end up doing. That's what he ends up doing. Uh, it takes a big man. It takes a humble man uh, to to do something like that. And if that's what happens, then all all the respect to Dave Hickey for that.
0: I read an interesting statistic uh, from John Wilner um, from the Bay Area. What is it? The uh, what's his Bay Area
1: Mercury News,
0: San Jose, or the Mercury News? Right, Bay yep. Area, Yeah, thank you. Um, and he mentioned uh, the total uh, sum of the pay of the coaching staffs, uh, or was it the assistant pools, um, the salary pools? Washington mm-hmm. leads the conference at five point one million. Oregon four point eight. ASU mm-hmm. is in the middle of the pack at three point seven. Arizona was last under Kevin Sillman at $3.1 million. So basically, out of 12 schools, Arizona is at the bottom. Um, that's not great, especially when he points out that Louisville, who is hardly a football powerhouse, pays its staff $4.6 million. The Wildcats have to find a way to at least pay around $4 million uh, for a staff to get guys that want to be here long term.
1: I agree. And I I think you do have to be careful with one thing, and that is the cost of living in Arizona is a little bit lower than some of those other places. So that factors into it a little bit. I think, I don't know about, I don't know how much, but certainly a little bit, you know, it's a lot cheaper to live in Tucson or Tempe than in, uh, in San Francisco, for example. Um, but as far as, you know, finding the the right coach and finding the right assistance, uh, I was looking at, you know, Paul Rhodes contract. Paul Rhodes is probably going to be one and done as Arizona's defensive coordinator, even though I think he did as well as he possibly could. Uh, He made $750,000 this season. He would make 800,000 next season. Now, if you look at a a top guy, like say uh, the next head coach, whether it's new Madalolo or Brennan wants to bring in Joe Salovey as defensive coordinator, he's making $650,000 this year at Oregon. So you think at the bare minimum, they're going to have to pay him at least what Paul Rhodes was making, maybe more to lure him out of Oregon. And then you obviously want a top offensive coordinator as well, because I think I was trying to think about, you know, in college football, like what percentage is it really about the head coach and what percentage is it about uh, the assistants? And I think from the player's perspective, it's probably 40, 60, you know, 40% the head coach. I think as far as the fans go, the head coach is more important in terms of you know being out there and talking to the media and engaging with the community. But in terms of the players, it's the assistants who recruit, right? You know, so I, I think that op- opening up that um, that your pocketbooks a little bit to get top assistance, and that's another thing too. Is I'm guessing you're going to have to pay Niamatololo a bit more than you would Brennan. Well, because Brennan's pre-
0: making eight fifty. New Madololo's like two point one million now. So Kenny's not coming here for probably under two and a half, right?
1: Right. You would have to think so. So it, it's one of those considerations. I don't know if it's going to come down to half a million or a million dollars, but you know if. And I don't know how it all works behind the scenes either, Eric, because I've never been an athletic director. But, you know, say that that Hickey's on the fence between these two guys and he's, you know, down to a coin flipper, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, or whatever. You might consider the fact that, okay, I can pay Brennan half a million less or 750 less or whatever it is and spend a little extra money, have a little extra money left over to pay top notch assistants.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And I think that's another reason for me why Brennan sticks out. I mean, he, he's not, you know, you could probably get him for 1.75 or maybe 2 million flat. So, you know, if you consider Nui Matalolo and Brennan equal, the fact that Brennan's, um, brother was a wide receiver, Brad Brennan in the nineties under Dick Tomey, that Mm -hmm. Brennan coached, uh, under Tomey as a graduate assistant in 2000 and then at San Jose State, you know, it's certainly, seems appealing to me this is a no-brainer you let Brennan coach the game on Saturday you interview him for an hour or two on on Sunday and and make the deal and the deal is announced on Sunday night and you and I can do a podcast by Monday Mm -hmm. this shouldn't be that hard you know we don't need you know there there's a rumor out there today and we'll just float it out there that uh, 24-7 sports reported that you know uh, Jed Fish the former offensive coordinator at Michigan and UCLA is is in play for the job because he's friends with Dr. Robbins and I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. He'll get an interview. He's probably doing his buddy a solid. Robbins is, but I, I would be shocked, shocked if Jed Fish was the uh, new coach of the Arizona Wildcats. And I would be also shocked at this point if it was anyone other than Nui Montalolo or Brennan. I really would. I mean, I I know you used laid your chips down earlier in the in the show uh, and spread out that last 15%. To me, it's open and shut. I mean, this is not hard. Why? First of all. Uh, let me ask you another thing. Why are we paying a search firm $100,000 for, I mean, you and I could go out there and dig up some stuff on these guys and we, get, we do it for free. We don't need $100,000. just going to waste. You should just ask us. He should,
1: really. To save some yeah. time. Let yeah. me mention one more thing, though, about the contrasting both of those top candidates. You, sure. know, you talked about how, how Brent Brennan, he's got a very small sample size in terms of success, right? He has yeah. really just a half season of of winning football at San Jose state. I sort of have the opposite concern with new Madalolo. in terms of he's been at Navy for a long time. You know, he was yep. an assistant there, uh, starting in 2002 and he's been the head coach since like 07, 08, So almost 20 years, he hasn't coached anywhere else. He hasn't spent a lot of time uh, coaching on the West coast. I think he was at UNLV for a little while and that's it. So again, that to me is, makes it even more important that he gets the right assistants who know the area and are able to co- uh, to recruit uh, in, whether it's Arizona or Texas or California, knows the West Coast. And so are you going to have enough money to hire New Metalolo and hire top assistants? And that course, largely comes down to the boosters and how much they're willing to pay, especially after they, they're going to pay Kevin someone's buyout.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, let's ask Matt Moreno from Go-A-Z Cats his thoughts. Then after we talk to Matt, we're going to come back. Uh, talk a little basketball men's and women's hoops both still undefeated men's hoops lost a a chance to play not lost a game but lost a chance to play Cal Baptist today when we are recording this podcast as Cal Baptist had a COVID positive within the program and we'll talk about the women's squad who is just absolutely on fire and in the top what six right now which is amazing and then we'll make our final uh regular season picks in the Pac-12 coming up next here on Wildcat Country. As always really pleased to be joined by senior editor of GoAzyCats.com, part of the Rivals network Matt Moreno. Hey Matt's been a been a boring week uh, for you. Uh, nothing going on in Arizona Athletics, right?
2: I don't know. I've been relaxing all week and just I'm just trying to find something to do. It's just been you know, so boring.
0: In, in all seriousness though, has has ever a 70 to 7 loss been so productive for the future of a program, would you say?
2: Uh no and and, and it's funny because I've seen a lot of tweets and a lot of messages about asu fans that were uh you know happy to see the score and then everyone realized wait you should probably keep that coach that just uh you know you guys just beat by 63 points and now arizona It prompted arizona to make that move and uh it was just a, a bad loss all the way around i mean there was no way to uh sugarcoat what happened and you know we all kind of expected the result probably very soon after that and so i think all of us were busy friday night getting prepared for what was what was to come so it, for ASU, it was victory, but at what price? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chase their coach away. Uh,
1: so Matt, a lot of uh, movement as far as uh, some uh, commits for 2021 and 22. Uh, decommitting, obviously, Keon Graves was a big one. Tracy Borgay for 22. We had both of them on our program. Uh, but guys like Stevie Rocker, 21 commit, running back, local guy, they've stuck around. Like what are some of your – I don't want to go through every single one, but what are some of your big takeaways as far as some of the guys who decided to decommit? some of the guys are sticking around
2: and others who are sort of taking that wait and see approach. It was kind of what was expected. I mean, if you looked even before Kevin Sumlin uh, was fired, you looked at kind of the class that was building. There was a couple of decommits even before the ASU game at the beginning of this month, uh, Jaquez Harvey, Jamarian Peterson, two of their top recruits in this class. Um, I think even if, as you looked going into December, you said it feels like right now, based on where things are at, that, The guys who have other Power 5 options are going to back off. Uh, There's no reason for them to sign. I think a lot of the recruits are still holding out hope that the NCAA at some point, now that we have a vaccine kind of in place, that they can take visits, even if it's just one week or two weeks before the next signing period. You have to remember, although the next signing period opens in February, it runs all the way until until April. So they don't have to sign in February. They could wait. And so I, I think you could see a lot of guys end up deciding once Wednesday comes around uh, to not to not sign and then kind of hold out and, and wait until February to figure out what they're going to do, and then maybe even wait beyond that, just at the outside chance that they can take some visits because a lot of these recruits uh, that are signing with Arizona have never been to Arizona, have never seen Tucson, don't know what they're stepping into. They just you know like the coaching staff. A lot of them just like that they had a Power 5 offer, and that kind of sealed the deal for them. So I think when you look at Arizona's class right now and kind of what we've seen transpire over the last few weeks, the guys who have other options are going to look at those options and the guys who don't uh, are trying to lock in their spot because they don't they don't want to end up at a school that isn't a Power 5 school because their a lot of their dream is to play at the highest level. Arizona's giving them that chance. You're not going to see a lot of offers rescinded right now. It's just a bad it would be a bad time to start doing that and so um a lot of those guys are just trying to lock in their spots and they'll kind of go from there.
1: One of those guys who could certainly look elsewhere is a quarterback commit for 2021, Clay Millen, who we've had on Wildcat Country. Uh, as of now, it's like he still plans to sign with Arizona, but he's not signing this week. Uh, your thoughts on do you think Arizona will be able to lock him in, or do you think it just depends on who the next head coach is going to be? It's
2: all up in the air with someone like that. I mean, you have to really figure out who the coach is going to be. I think if the fit is right, I think it's fine. I think he'll stick. I think he likes Arizona. Um, I think he it, it, he likes the posi- He likes being a Pac-12 player. His brother's already at Oregon. Um, he was looking at a lot of Pac-12 schools. Uh, so I don't I don't think he would. If you found the right fit, I think it would be it would be fine. Uh, it's all it comes down to that and how much he fits. Because he one reason he was coming to Arizona is because of Olmazoni and the system he feels like he fits in well with with what they had in place. Right, someone here, Olmazoni here. You don't know what's going to happen in Omazone. I think everybody feels like he won't be back next season, but at this point he's still officially on staff. And so uh, you kind of have to play it by ear, which is why I think you see something, you see kind of the situation play out with, with Millen is that he kind of is in, in limbo too. He doesn't really know. Omazone no, can't tell him, hey, yeah, I'm gone. I mean, he, he doesn't know, I'm sure himself, maybe he has an idea. I think we all kind of have an idea of what's going to happen, but hmm. uh, you don't know for sure. So I think it's just, everyone's kind of in limbo. So someone like Millen kind of has to wait it out. There's no no rush. Like I said, uh, you don't have to sign in December. And and I'm surprised that there are so many recruits signing in, in December across the board because if you have other options, why not wait? You, you're going to get a chance to see how the kind of coaching carousel plays out, who's going to go where. The coach that maybe has been recruiting you might not be there anymore. So I don't see why they would sign right now, but I, I understand some of those players that don't have other bigger offers, why they would want to lock in their spot. But if you have other options, I just think for across the board, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to sign right now. So I think everyone is going to take a step back, especially the Arizona guys, and and figure out where they go next.
0: All right, two part question for you here. I'm going to go one by one. First of all, how much roster turnover with the from the existing guys do you expect um, with a new coaching staff? You expect a lot of guys to leave, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a ton. Um, I think either way, it was going to be a ton. This maybe helps you a little bit. Um, I think if Kevin Sumlin comes back, I think we already saw the writing on the wall with guys that were already leaving and had already decided they don't want to be a part of the program. I think it would have been, it would have been pretty devastating if uh, Arizona would have kept Kevin someone on board and you would have been playing a lot of walk-ons, a lot of guys that uh, you know, wouldn't normally be playing and you would have a lot of freshmen that were going to be on the field as well. And so I think it would have been, uh, it would have been a lot different roster than you would see anywhere else in the pac 12 because of so many guys that would be leaving. Um, it could still be, that could still be the case. Um, I think a lot of players are going to have a, have a chance to kind of evaluate things and see you know, if they can vibe with the new staff, assuming it's going to be an entirely new staff. Um, this is one of those situations where if you remember last time, a lot of the players were pushing for someone like Marcel Yates to stick around. They were saying, I'm leaving if he's not sticking around. I don't get that same sense this time around. I think if they bring in an entirely new staff, it probably benefits Arizona at this point in terms of trying to keep players on board because it gives them something else that they're not they don't know about, they don't know it yet. They don't know how it's going to work out. They might feel like they fit better with a new defense, new offense, whatever it may be. Um, so I think it actually benefits Arizona in this scenario to kind of clean house and kind of start over if their intent is to keep a lot of those players on board, because I do think at the very least, a lot of them are going to enter the transfer portal. Again, you can come back if you enter the portal. It's not like you're saying you're gone. You can come back to school. So I think a lot of them uh, are going to you know, enter the portal. I think to ex- expect a lot of you know the better players, the more productive players to enter the, enter the portal. We've already seen Stanley Berryhill, who had a very good season, say so he's leaving and, and looking at other options. So I think you'll see a lot of guys do the same and, and then kind of figure out things as they go.
0: So, all right, second part of my long-winded uh, question. So how do you build a roster at, the, at this point uh, for next year? What's, you know, give us a, a way, an optimistic viewpoint of how a roster can be built with a new coaching staff.
2: Uh, optimistic. You'll, it'll, it'll be what it is, is, <laughs> uh, it's Juco guys in transfers. Um, like I said, I think freshmen are going to have to play. They're going to have to be in position to contribute this year. We saw that quite a bit, but junior college players transfers are going to be, uh, the new coaches kind of, uh, that's where he's going to have to target because there's not a lot of options out there in terms of recruiting. I know every fan seems to think that, Oh, if they just hire a new coach, that's why there's not really a rush to hire a new coach. You're at signing day; it doesn't really matter at this point uh, when you do it. Um, but I know the fan the fan mentality is to think, "Oh, by you know, they'll hire a coach in January or late December; they'll be ready to roll for you know that that next signing period." But it's it's going to be a tough sell right now. There's not not a lot to sell about Arizona at this point. It's going to be a long haul for this next coaching staff. Um, it's going to take years. I mean, it's going to take years for them to really try and get things the way they want it to rebuild this roster. Um, I don't know that there's any names out there other than unrealistic ones where it could be a, an overnight um, change. I think it's going to be a, a situation where it's a, it's a total rebuild. You're building from the ground up at Arizona, and uh, it's going to take time. So, Matt, taking a look at some of the big
1: names uh, that are at, linked to the, the coaching job, you know, um, Brent Brennan, Ken Matalolo, Jay Norvell, maybe a couple of others. Are there any names in particular where you you, you look at them and you think, you know, I think this guy could actually do well with recruiting in Tucson. It's a unique place. Like we've talked about Uh, you might have to do a little more with less. Is there anyone that stands out where you think, okay, this guy could have, you know, give him a couple of years and he could
2: start turning things around recruiting wise. I I think the first two that you mentioned just because of their experience and where they're at uh, Brent Brennan, he's turned around San Jose state, which is not an easy task. Yeah. Uh, It's it's, it would be kind of similar recruiting as he starts out at Arizona you really have to work. And that's the thing that I think it's underrated by coaches that come to Arizona is I think they think it's going to be a lot easier to recruit to Tucson, uh, to recruit to Arizona than it ends up being. And they kind of misjudged misjudge the situation. And by the time they finally figure it out and the light bulb clicks, uh, it's game over and, and you're on to your next coach. And so I think that's happened a couple times here. The last uh, couple of hires, I think by the time Rich Rodriguez figured it out, the plug got pulled. And I think Kevin Sumlin was starting to kind of figure out which direction he wanted to go, go in. Um, you know, moving forward, and and once you get a feel for it, because they they're coming from these programs, Michigan, Texas and M, where it's a different ballgame. You're talking about different a different level of recruits. Uh, you have different uh things on your side that work in your favor. Where it's it's a bigger challenge at Arizona. So I think someone like Brent Brennan uh, is going to step into a similar situation. I think it's going to feel familiar to him. Uh, he's a go getter as a recruiter. Um, he'll be targeting a lot of the same areas that he is at San Jose State. And then with Kenny Matololo, I mean, you're looking at a coach that has to really work to get players and and to get recruits. And it's, it's not easy. I think there is that maybe that fear of, can he do it out on the West coast? Can he do it at a power five school? There's always that conversation of, is he going to bring that offensive system to a different program? That's a whole nother, nother ball game, because you're talking about recruits who are not going to want to play in that. You're going to have to truly sell them on, on playing in that type of system if that's what he ends up doing. So, but I do think that the the experience at both of those programs is something that prepares them for the challenge that lies ahead for them at Arizona. if either one of those guys gets the job.
1: We had uh, Marcus Griffin on uh, Sunday. You know, he was one of the guys who was very outspoken on social media during that ASU game. And he said something that really struck me that he said, if you could lock down the state of Arizona recruiting wise, which is obviously easier said than done, you can have a new a potential new year, six bowl team within two or three years. Now that I think that's a bit optimistic, but his point is that if you really success can successfully recruit Arizona and bring, keep a lot of those guys in state you can really do a lot of good things. How how realistic is that? And what's it going to take for a new head coach to come in and really get some of those, maybe not the five-star guys, but you know some of the four-star guys on both sides of the ball to look at Arizona, especially
2: at when ASU certainly seems like the more attractive in-state option right now? It feels more unrealistic as time goes on. I mean, even from three years ago, it feels more unrealistic now. Um, you look at Arizona's class, Stevie Rocker is it. Um, that's it. That's their in-state class for, for Arizona in 2021. And so, um, it's, it's disappointing. I know for fans, because you, you look at Tucson in particular, the talent that's coming out of Tucson right now, the guys that are, you know, going to eventually probably play on Sundays that have left Tucson to go play at Texas and Ohio state. Um, there's so much, there's so many schools that are coming into Tucson, coming into Phoenix, Um, That maybe wouldn't have, but maybe would just stop by before. That are really trying to make a difference and really trying to pull players from this state, making it an even bigger challenge. I mean, you've seen ASU kind of just look in another direction, almost throw their hands up and say, "We're not even really going to try very hard with in-state recruiting," which is an opening for Arizona. That's an opportunity to maybe step in and get some of those higher-end three-star guys, some guys that are going to make a difference, um, but uh, aren't aren't looking at ASU because ASU is looking at California so hard or looking at other places. So. Um I think there is an opportunity there. It's it's a challenge. I think right now the trend is 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 rolling. I mean the trend of of players saying I'm going somewhere else anywhere that is isn't here uh, is growing and that's not a good thing for the next head coach that steps in. I know relationships are going to be important, but it goes beyond that. You have to really start to win games. I don't think we'll start to see that until we start to see ASU and Arizona win more games, really be competitive in the Pac-12 every year and show that they can do that before recruits start saying, "You know what? Maybe I need to stay home because This is the best option for me, not just because I want to be close to home, want to play in front of my friends and family, but because this is the best option for me right now. It's hard to argue with a lot of these players uh, that are looking at the in-state schools and saying your your best option is is here. Uh, I don't blame any of them for going to an Ohio State, a Texas, any of these big brand schools, because right now uh, that's a much better option than going to Arizona, Arizona State.
0: All right, Matt, uh, put on your crystal ball, uh, you know, have your crystal ball in front of you. Who's going to be the next coach at uh, U of A?
2: I keep coming back to Brent Brennan. I think it's one of those first, those two guys that I mentioned. I I think it's either going to be Ken uh, Nui Matalolo, if I can say it right. I'll have to practice that if he ends up being the head coach. No kidding, all of us will. Um, uh, Either him or Brent Brennan. I I think they make the most sense. Obviously, there's been a, a a lot made of the ties to Dick Tomey for both of those guys. Um, the players, the former players, have really started to kind of drum up support for, uh, you know, having that connection and reaching back to the past, and um, I just think it's it's going to be one of those two guys, in my opinion. Obviously, uh, Jay Norvell has, has been talked about. There's been some other options that are talked about. Um, I think they're going to turn over every rock, though. I think they're going to look at their options and really see who is the best fit because Dave Hickey has to get this right. Um, they're kind of getting that Mulligan in in the sense that they tried Kevin Sumlin, it didn't work out came up with the money to, to let him go. And and now um, you can't mess this one up. You have to get it right. And so uh, I think Arizona again, and we talked about it before recruiting wise, it's not like you have a massive class that you're trying to keep together, that you're trying to make sure signs it's, it's guys that you can end up replacing, I think down the road. So it's not, there's not a huge rush to get, you know, get someone in by, uh, you know, the end of the year. Although I think Arizona would like that, but I think it's about getting it right. And so um, I think everyone's going to be, there's going to be, a lot of rocks uh, overturned and a lot of options looked at before they kind of settle in. But I still, I still think it comes back to one of those two guys in
0: the end. Without knowing the roster next year. Um, And and obviously a lot can change. So this is, this is completely on the spot and we've done that, you know, this is the third time we've had you on with us. And of course I like to do that every time.
1: You know Uh, how Eric rolls by now.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, The Wildcats non-conference schedule next year, for those who don't know, at BYU on a Thursday night, September 2nd, then or San Diego state, at home on 911 and then on 918 uh NAU. Uh so that's you know not a not an easy non-conference schedule outside of NAU. What's a ceiling on a on a win total that's not unrealistic assuming the roster is as you think it will be whatever that means uh next year.
2: I I think if a new coach can come in and win them 3 games, I think they should be plenty happy with that because it's more than 0. <laughs> it's more than 0 and it's a sign at least that you took a roster that was not better than what Kevin Sumlin had and you turned it into a team that won three games. Obviously, you're going to have more options. You're going to have more opportunities to get wins because this season was so short. But uh, to me, I think if you can get three wins, it's still the same type of team to me. And I would have said, if Arizona would have played entire schedule this year, I would have said, you know, this is a three-win team. And so I think uh, at its core, it's still very similar to that. Like I said, this is a long process. If fans are expecting this to be something that, Flips around in a couple of years. I think it's going to take a lot longer than that. This is probably a three, four, five year process. Which, in college football, you don't get that much time. But I think everyone understands that this is, like I said, this is this is a big rebuild. This isn't just kind of uh, you know fixing, plugging some holes, and, and finding a couple of guys to make you a real uh, competitor in the South in the Pac-12. This is building from the ground up. And so I, I think if you can get three wins next season, I think that's at least a sign of progress. Fans aren't going to like it, but. I think that's the reality of the situation right now.
0: When you talk about a full rebuild, does that mean we're not going to see a bowl game for four or five years? Or could we, you know, two, three years down the road, be talking about the, you know, uh, garbage bowl and or New Mexico bowl or whatever crap that Pac-12 is tied to at that point?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair to to think that they can get back to a bowl game in three years. But when you're talking about fans and you're talking about a new head coach, they're not thinking, oh, can we make the bowl game at, you know, six and six? They're thinking, when can we compete for the South? And if you, I mean, it might not happen in five years. It might take longer than that to start really competing for the the division title, competing for a Pac 12 crown. But you have to think that way in terms of, of when you're hiring a new coach, you're, you're not thinking, hey, who can win us five or six games every year? Although that might be closer to, to the reality. Um, you're thinking who can, you know, help us win eight and nine games every season. And so um, I, I think it's possible definitely that a, a coach can come in here. Uh, turn things around, especially someone who's a a great motivator. I think the thing that's been lacking a lot over the last several years years has been development. Uh, That's kind of a key element of of coaching at Arizona. Uh, You know you're not going to be competing with USC and Oregon and Washington for talent. You're naturally just going to have to find some guys that fall through the cracks. So the big part of that is development and being able to develop those players to compete with some of those teams. We've seen Washington State do it before with similar talent. We've seen Utah kind of really build through kind of having those three-star guys that just, uh, you know, end up developing into very, very good players. So it's not impossible to do, but you have to have the right guy and the right mindset to do it. And so um, I think it is fair to say that, you know, in a few years you get someone that can do that, can turn the players even Arizona has right now into into something better. I think it's not unrealistic that you can see them back in a bowl game in a few years.
1: Let me ask you, Matt, my, my last question uh, about one more specific recruit, uh, Trayson Borgay, 2022 quarterback who did decommit earlier this week. I remember Eric and I had him on a couple of months ago. And I remember after we were done talking, cause we're doing video as we're talking now, uh, after we stopped recording, he showed us all the U of a memorabilia in his house. Like, like they're die in the wool wildcats for life. So I'm wondering, even though he took a step back, is there a chance that he might recommit based on who the new coach is, or is he like he and Keon Graves are really tight. Is he going to try to follow him? What are your thoughts
2: on Trayson and Bourguet? I think unless it's a system that completely doesn't fit him well at all, I I think he's going to be bound for Arizona eventually again. I think that's kind of his sentiment right now. I don't think he was jumping and he was eager to try and decommit. I think he wants to go to Arizona. He believes uh, in playing in front of his family, and he wants to have that. He loves the school. He loves the program. But it's almost in his best interest to back off because other schools aren't going to look at you as much when when you're committed. We've already seen that happen with Keon Gray's other schools have already jumped in and offered, even though they could have offered before when he was committed to Arizona. Some schools, some coaches don't like to take that approach. They don't want that to happen to them, uh, to, to recruit players that are already committed. So they wait. Um, so this will give them some options to kind of, um, you know, look around, see what else is out there, see what other schools can come around. Uh, maybe he likes those options better down the line, but I think unless it's a terrible fit, which it's possible that could happen. You don't know um, that, that he could end up being you know the, the type of player that comes back to the class and um, to me I would expect him back at Arizona unless again it goes very south and he just does not like the system at all and it doesn't fit him well
0: well Matt uh, when we first had Jan, I think it was August or September we thought oh hey we're not gonna have football until next fall well hey at least you've got a lot going on and well, your life over at Go AZ Cats, is going to be really interesting in these next few months. So uh, thank you for all that you do. We really appreciate the content. And, and as always, thanks for joining Shane and I here on the podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Glad to have Matt Moreno on once again to break down the recruiting implications of the Wildcats coaching change. And I'm sure we're going to be talking to him a few times between now and February because uh, a lot's going to change between now and then. And I'm actually very excited to see how the Wildcats football team builds their roster going forward. Uh, Once again, Shane and I will, as soon as a new coach is named, we'll be back on and put together a podcast to get some instant reaction. Uh, This is a very exciting time for both of us, especially me, who is a football diehard who, you know, hadn't missed a home game in a long time at Arizona Stadium and I live and die with this, uh, what has been a downtrodden squad.
1: I would Shane, say, Eric, you really didn't miss anything this no, year. No,
0: no. And and Shane is looking for a topic for his third book uh, on the <laughs> on the Territorial Cup. And I think he's going to ignore these uh, three games between Herm Edwards and Kevin Sumlin. So let's hope that uh, Ken Nui-Matalolo or Brent Brennan will uh, will provide some excitement for Shane's uh, third book that comes out in 2025 or so. Is that accurate?
1: No, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to write any more about this rivalry unless we get another good head to head down the road. It, it, if it's happening, it's happening a long way into the future. I ain't writing any more books anytime soon.
0: Let's talk a little basketball here for a second. Men's basketball team uh, had a nice win on Saturday against UTEP, I believe. Was that Saturday or Sunday? I can't even get my days straight. Well, lots was, happened
1: since then. Yeah, it was just it, Saturday. It was just a couple hours after the Kevin Someone was officially fired. But Okay, yeah, that's right. Did, didn't make a three pointer, but they found a way to win.
0: Yeah, it's a little concerning. Uh, and now losing the Cal Baptist game. So I mean, they didn't lose the fact that they didn't play now going on the road to Stanford, but this game is going to be played a few hours south or I think an hour south of Stanford on Saturday, which is bizarre. Is that an advantage for the Wildcats not playing at uh, Naples Pavilion?
1: Whole college basketball season is bizarre. I, but I, you know, the fact that there haven't been any fans of McHale center or a very limited amount of fans at first. And then none since then maybe that helps a little bit because they, you know, Arizona hasn't had to rely on that home crowd the first few games. I mean, they're all games they should have won anyway, but there's not going to be any fans there. I mean, be fair at Stanford, there wouldn't be any fans anyway, but I don't know if that makes a huge difference. Uh, I will say uh, uh, Jamal Baker Pac-12 player of the week. Mm. He he came out of nowhere, uh, had a fantastic uh, week as last week. And then, uh, you know, Benedict Matherin's coming around. Uh, fre- freshman who uh, we didn't necessarily expect a lot from early in the season. Still missing Kerr Kresa due to some n- NCA nonsense. Still missing Daniel Bacho uh, due to injury, uh, re- rehabbing from surgery. He's eight weeks into it now. Sean Miller talked about it the other day. But the eleven guys they have have been doing okay. Uh, n- no real test yet. They are. They did get a few votes or a few points, whatever you want to call it, in the last AP poll in the top twenty-five. Um, haven't really gotten tested yet, but this first game at Stanford should be a good one.
0: Do we know anything about, uh, Kurt Um, what's no going update. on there?
1: No he- updates. It's just a week to week thing. You know, it's kind of like, uh, like I said, it feels like Alonzo Trier all over again, even though Kurt didn't do anything wrong. It's just, uh, we don't know if he's going to be able to play this week, next week, by the end of the season, who knows?
0: Yeah. I'm, I don't really understand what the NCAA is doing here, uh, as to, and, and why he is, uh, why he can't play. This is just so dumb. Um for uh the NC I don't want to get into it here, but it's disappointing because I know you were really looking forward to watching him play. This was he was kind of your favorite player from what you had heard in the in the preseason and mm-hmm. I mean, I think this team uh having him, I mean, listen, as from what I've seen and albeit it's a small sample size, I'd say this is a fringe ncaa tournament team right now. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Probably, you know, and, and they're still getting to know each other. You know, they're going through the rigors of uh, the coronavirus uh, testing. Uh, Sean Miller talked after the UTEP game about how they play four games in eight days. Uh, they have, you know, COVID testing at 6 or 7 a.m. every day. They're doing dealing with finals right now, or they were la- as of last weekend. So it's nice for them to get a break. Maybe this game, you know, not playing against Cal Baptist as, as much as I want to see them get in as many games as possible, maybe it's nice that they're going to have a little bit more of a break in between. The other thing I mentioned, and I texted this uh, to you earlier today. Shouldn't the NCA push back the NCA tournament by a few weeks, just to let teams get in some more games, because I don't want another college football situation where, you know, the selection committee is going to have to choose between like a uh, Ohio state, which played six games or Texas A&M, which plays 10 in basketball. You're going to look at teams that maybe played 15 games and others that played 30. And I I'd like, the teams that have played 15 or 20 games to be able to have a chance to at least get a few more games in before the season's over.
0: Well, listen, Cal Baptist's not impacting anything from Arizona. Now, they rescheduled the Colorado game. That's coming up, I uh, believe, next uh, or two weeks um, from now. They're going to play it on, uh, I think it's a Monday night, uh, the Monday after Christmas, uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, and so that's important because it's a conference game. Cal Baptist's not doing anything for U of A's RPI, so that's fine that that game, I mean, realistically, Wildcats save, you know, $60,000 or whatever it is. And that's that. Um, so it's, it goes towards the football coach. You
1: used to pay your assistance, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't think that's a big deal. If they Every conference game is going to be made up at some point. Uh, and speaking of conference games, Wildcats on the road this weekend against Stanford. What's your gut feeling? You think they pull off the winner or you think this is their first loss of uh, 2020?
1: It's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, Stanford probably should have beaten North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, some questionable officiating in that game. It could have gone uh, differently. They also lost to Indiana by a wide margin, uh, beat Alabama. Alabama's a decent team this year. Uh, Oscar De Silva is going to be uh, a handful for the Wildcats. Uh, it's not really a true road game. I don't think there's going to be like necessarily a true road game this season, such as it is. Uh, it's going to be a tough one for Arizona. I think this might be their first loss of the season.
0: I'm going to make a bold prediction that the game will be decided by one possession. It'll be one possession game one way or the other. Uh, No more than three points on either side. I uh, just don't have a gut feel on it right now. I'm curious to see what the Las Vegas line is. Now, I don't know how often Vegas puts out lines for women's basketball, but I'm pretty sure that they would not have had the Wildcats by 28 over ASU. I mean, talk about thorough domination last Thursday before the football game. This women's team finally put it together and just pasted, you know, a fairly decent ASU squad. Yeah. ASU
1: is always good. You know, Charlie Turner Thorne has been there a long time. Was there even, uh, I think she was there even when Adia Barnes was a player at Arizona and Adia Barnes talked about, uh, she never lost to ASU when she was a player and, uh, she doesn't like losing them as a coach either. They've won three in a row now, uh, over, uh, over the Sun Devils, you know, ASU is not a ranked team, but you know, they're always a tournament team. They're always a French top 25 team at least. So that was impressive. And you follow that up with their win over a, then number nine UCLA the week before, uh, they're at Utah and Colorado this week games. They should win, but th- again, like, like the men's team, this is their first road test of the season. So we'll see. And if they win, then I think next week, they only have Idaho at home. And then after that, they have a chance to go in undefeated against number one, Stanford in Tucson on January 1st, 2021. Just imagine There good.
0: could be fans there, you know, I mean, I know. how cool would that be?
1: There'd be at least, you know, Adia Barnes predicted there would be ten thousand fans per game this season at McHale Center for Women's Hoops if there were fans allowed to be there. Uh, I, that might be a little high, but I gu- do guarantee that if fans were allowed to be there, there would be at least ten thousand for that game in particular. That's going to be really fun to see just how good Arizona is because I haven't seen anything yet uh, based on this season and the, and you know, last season they have a lot of the same players on like the men's team that suggests they can't be at least a Final Four contender if they're healthy going into the the NCAA tournament.
0: Uh, Colorado is three and three. Utah is two and two. This is a weekend. The Wildcat, the, the Lady Wildcats, need to sweep and make it relatively easy and move on. As you said, uh, looking ahead to January first to to Stanford in a game that could vault the Wildcats into if they were to win, then you could start talking about a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it's gonna be right now they'd probably be a two, maybe a three if if things didn't go right. But you know, you beat Stanford and now you're talking and. You know, Stanford Tara Tara Vanderveer, the best women's coach or most winning uh, or the winningest women's coach of all time. Uh, So Adia has a challenge on her hands, but that should be great. A great matchup. And we will talk more about the basketball teams. I think as football dies down and and once we get the new coach and and obviously that'll be the focus of our podcast uh, for quite a while.
1: Yeah. And the difference is between the women and the men is that uh, for U of A women's basketball, there's a ton of chances for quality wins. Uh, There are five top 15 teams from the Pac-12 right now. Uh, So there's going to be a ton of chances to face really good competition, uh, boost their tournament seeding. Not only that, but get prepared for some of the top teams in the NCAA tournament compared to the men's side, which now that ASU dropped out of the top 25 and they should have lost to GCU last weekend, by the way, there are no Pac-12 teams on the men's side in the top 25 right now. So it's, it's night and day between the men and the women. So at least on the women's side, Plenty of chances for quality wins. Plenty of chances for good competition to be ready for the NCAA tournament.
0: Before we close out the podcast, it's time for our weekly Pac-12 picks. Uh, we have not gotten Anu Solomon's picks, but after his zero four week last week, dropping him to ten and eighteen, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll do some extra thinking and get his picks in a little bit later on. You and I both three and one. Uh, you're 17 and 11, uh, guaranteed a 500 record with only, or, uh, above 500 record, and I need to go 4 and 0 to get to 500. I'm 12 and 16, so here we go, Shane. Uh, let's start with a big game, uh, Pac 12 championship game Friday night. Oregon steps in for Washington, who still has COVID issues at USC in the Coliseum, and USC is a three and a half point favorite. What are you taking?
1: I I think I feel like USC is going to run out of lives at some point. You know they they've won by the skin of their teeth so many times. They beat an Arizona team by four points that in hindsight obviously they should have beaten by a lot more. They they had to rally from two touchdowns down to beat ASU in the last minute. They had to rally to beat UCLA as average as Oregon's looked at times. I just got a feeling that they're going to burst USC's bubble, because it's especially because it's like the Pac-12 to cannibalize itself, right, and, and to really have you know, as few teams in the top 25 or the top 15 as possible. So I'm going to go with Oregon on this one.
0: You taking them straight up to win as well? Uh, you know what? I am. I will go that far. uh, You know, USC got really lucky in beating UCLA last week, but I think they're going to find a way to go undefeated. Clay Helton does have nine lives, or more than nine lives, and I think they they win this game by four, so they cover the three-and-a-half by one point. Uh, Early game on uh, on Saturday, Washington State, who's had major COVID cancellations recently, at Utah, who looked really good uh, in Boulder last week, which was uh, a pick that you and I both agreed on. Uh, Utah's favored by ten-and-a-half. How are you feeling about that one?
1: I'll go with Utah on that one. You know, Washington State, like you said, they're, you know, if ASU is any indication in terms of rust due to, you know, the time off due to coronavirus, uh, you know, Washington State's not going to do well in Salt Lake City. I, I think the Utes have had a tough go of it, you know, from COVID themselves toward the beginning of the season. They obviously missed the Arizona game, but they've gotten their act together a bit. I'd like, they beat Colorado, which, you know, I think Colorado was a bit overrated anyway. They beat Colorado last weekend. So I like the Utes to cover.
0: All right. This is game of the year material for me. I I this one, if I could bet my I don't want to say it's a bet my house pick, but I really feel good about one side in this game. Stanford going to UCLA. Uh the Bruins are favored by six and a half. I'm gonna save my pick for a second. I'll let you make your first pick and then I'll explain my logic. Uh who are you taking in this game?
1: I'm leaning UCLA. Uh I think that they've uh they've looked better than I expected, at least as as uh quicker than I expected under Chip Kelly. Uh, I think that the Bruins, they should have beaten USC last weekend. They, they looked sharp against ASU at in Tempe the fall or the previous week. I think uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has played better than I expected. Certainly looked better than he did last year when we saw him down in Tucson against Grant Cannell in Arizona. So I'm going to go with the Bruins.
0: Stanford is my best bet of the year in among Pac-12 games. David Shaw has lost one game in his career at the Rose Bowl by my count, and it was a game against Michigan State in the Rose Bowl itself. He is undefeated, Against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. And by the way, Shane, uh, for those who might remember 2014, the day after Thanksgiving, Arizona needed one result as well as beating ASU to get into the Pac 12 championship game. True. And that was a David Shaw Stanford team over UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Not only do I think Stanford's going to cover the six and a half, I think they're going to win the game outright. Uh, They're playing really well. They already, you know, they're road warriors. Um, They went and they beat Washington, they beat Oregon State. And I think they will. They're not going to a bowl game. They already said we're gonna. We're gonna, This is our bowl game. Uh, I love this pick. I'm going Stanford. I bet your house on it. Or close It's your
1: stone cold lead pipe lock of the week huh?
0: of the of the year
1: of the year. This, this
0: is the year of the okay. year. Stanford. I'm going to
1: save this recording. I'm going to play it on Sunday.
0: You can play it. Play it on Sunday. All right. Finally, uh, ASU is seven and a half point favorite at Oregon State uh Oregon State already missing their quarterback uh Jamar Jefferson their star running back is questionable but I still think the Beavs keep it close ASU wins the game how do you feel about this one
1: I think ASU will will squeeze out a uh a victory beyond the spread just just beyond you know that's it, Oregon State's a classic trap game this time of year but I mean even though things are different this year it, it ASU always seems to struggle late in the year in Corvallis but like you said, with Oregon State's quarterback out and and other injuries, I I think the Devils find a way. You know, they, they can beat uh, Arizona by sixty three in Tucson. I think they could beat Oregon State by at least eight points in Corvallis.
0: I think this is one where I just want to see a letdown game. I'd love to see Oregon State, you know, play hard towards the end of the year and and uh, and show show us something. So uh, I'm taking uh, Oregon State. I believe Anu when he makes his picks, will be taking Oregon State. So yep. once again, I like SC, uh, Utah, Stanford, and Oregon State. You like Oregon, Utah ucla and asu so i have a chance to at least cut the deficit and then maybe we'll make some uh, some bowl picks if any pac-12 teams outside of usc and possibly oregon go bowling well shane it's been uh, an action-packed episode thanks to matt moreno from goazycats.com for joining us and we'll be back soon enough talking the new coach hopefully within the next week or so so for shane dale i'm eric cohen as always bear down